you know, those, the words to the song, it, you know, it ought to be a prayer, yeah. a real prayer, you know, not just words we say, because, mm-hmm. you know, we're, it's a daily thing to, to be surrendered to the Lord and to, to say, Lord, truly take my life. That's an act. It's a, a, those are words of surrender and the heart of surrender. And when you have that heart of surrender, there's that, there's that trust as well, because the one who's like, take my life, <laughs> my life's in your hands. There's a risk there, you know, because you're like, well, I'm used to being in control of my life. And that prayer is, is really a prayer of surrender. It's a song of surrender. And it ought to be more than just words that we sing on Sunday morning. It ought to be the very cry of our heart every single day, you know. And, you know, so worship is, is more than just, there's singing, obviously, but there's a hard attitude of worship. You know, there's that, there's the, I surrender to you because I can trust you, right? Because you're strong enough, you're powerful enough, and you're also good enough, you know? And if you have any doubts about that, you look at the cross, because the cross is proof of God's love. And God can't take the cross back, so it's this this daily submitting of ourselves and say, Lord, I I surrender to you and just take, take all of my life. And if you do say that prayer and sing in that way, don't be surprised if God decides to do things in different directions, in different ways than you had wanted. Mm -hmm. Because part of trusting is trusting that whoever you're trusting has a better way, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes we hold back from God because we think, well, Lord, I don't know if I can trust you because you don't know how to drive the ship I'm driving. (laughs) And God says, come again. <laughs> I'm running the entire universe and keeping everything in its place. I can do multitasking very well <laughs> to a level you've never thought of before. So that's the, that's the invitation here is, is, is of the heart. And sometimes we have, we have our, our brains and we're very, very smart and logical. We, we think a certain way and we... But it's the heart that God's after. He's after the mind as well. We love the Lord God with our whole soul, our whole mind, right, and strength, but our whole heart as well. So it's more than just words. It's the attitude of the heart, and it's one that says, I trust you, God. Amen. Amen? All right, so let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord. We ask, would you lead us to be that kind of worshiper who worship you in spirit and in truth? Help us, Lord, to be more than just verbal followers of you, but actual followers of you. We are sheep, and you are the shepherd, and you are a good shepherd. We trust wherever you lead us, even if you lead us to the valley of the shadow of death, even if you lead us to have a picnic right next to where our enemies are camped out. We trust you because we're with you and you're with us. I pray for anyone who's here or even watching online. Maybe they're your sheep and maybe they have wandered off and you're going after them. May may the sheep hear the shepherd's voice. May our heart be such a way where we say, Lord, we trust you. We've tried everything else. How about we trust you? Make us worshipers of Christ in that way and followers of Jesus Christ. Now, Lord, we pray for your blessing and your help.
as we worship you by studying your word. Give us understanding the same way you you gave the guys on the road to Emmaus. You opened their minds to understand the scripture. You did the same with the disciples. Give us understanding, Lord, of your word. Open our eyes, Lord, through your word. Teach us, minister to us, Lord. We pray for your word to not return void. We pray for whatever angels you have here, the ministering spirits, that they would do your will and that you would draw us near to Christ. It's his name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning again. How's everyone doing? Excellent. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, if you have your Bibles, open up with me to Ephesians chapter 6, and we are continuing our study of spiritual warfare. By the way, Ephesians 6 isn't the only place where spiritual warfare is happening. It's just a good place to to start out at, you know. Ephesians 6 is, uh, and the spiritual warfare, uh, it's, uh, it's obviously significant. You know, so we've been... We've been looking at you know the existence of warfare, of spiritual warfare, and what it all means. And of course, we've learned some lessons along the way. We learned that Jesus Christ, he's ultimately he's the victor, right? On the cross was the victory. And the resurrection is proof of that. Thank God there's an empty tomb, amen. Thank God there's an empty tomb. Went to Israel. I wanted to see the empty tomb. He's not here. He's risen. If there's, a, if there's a dead body in that tomb, then it's a dead religion. But this is a living relationship with the living Savior. We don't talk to thin air, right? We talk to Jesus. By the way, your prayers travel faster than the speed of light. You realize that? Because I can pray, and instantly at the speed of thought, it's in heaven and God's ears. Okay. I don't know how far heaven is. But light can't travel that fast. Okay, I'm just, I'm, I'm just going off here. <laughs> Praise the Lord, right? You see, nothing's faster than the speed of light. Whatever, you'll find that out someday. Because <laughs> it better be, because if heaven's really far away, light can't travel that fast. Anyway, what are we talking about? Ephesians 6, spiritual warfare. Jesus Christ is the victor. Our, and here's another lesson that we learn. Strength begins in weakness. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. How about I read this section first and then I'll recap it. How's that? Ephesians 6.10, finally be strong in the Lord. Ephesians 6.10, and in, well, some say the strength of his might. Some say might of his strength. Very similar words. Be, in his, be strong in the Lord and in his strength, in the strength of his might, and put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Oh boy, we learned about some of those schemes, didn't we? we we've been learning about his tactics and how he tempts us and how he goes about his business trying to, to cause us to, to fall. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against their authorities, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Verse 12 is going to be our main text today. 
You say, John, why are you taking so long? Why not? <laughs> trust me, I trust me, we can speed up the thing, but what I don't want to miss, the, the details are important. Jesus says not one iota, one dash, one little marking in the Hebrew text will pass from law without even Like everything's important to God. Right? The little little dash in Hebrew, this little looks like an apostrophe. That that's or even just the, the end of a letter kind of looks like a little, not even a apostrophe, it's at the end of the that's even important. So just slow down here. <laughs> Therefore, verse 13, take up the armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything to stand firm. And then he says, stand firm. Having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. By the way, the putting on of the armor is not the battle. The putting on of the armor is the preparation for the battle. You're just getting ready by putting on the armor. In addition to all, verse 16, having taken up the shield of faith in which you were, with which you were able to uh, be able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one, having also received the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the, the word of God, praying at all times with all prayer. That's where the battle's at in the prayer time. And petition in the Spirit to this end, being on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Let's stop right here. Okay. So we looked at be strong in the Lord, so strength begins in weakness. This is the first, the first general uh, main principle is you can't be strong in the Lord if you're strong in yourself. So you've got to learn to understand your weakness so you understand his strength. Because if you're going to lean on yourself, you're not going to lean on God. But, so sometimes the, the Lord will allow you, he often allows you to remind you of how weak you are. Because when you start thinking how strong and how intelligent and how all this, God says, okay. <laughs> Shields down. <sighs> okay, help! <laughs> you know? So he says, look at verse, he says in verse 11, put on the full armor of God. He's going to repeat that in verse 13. Take up the full armor of God. Why? First of all, the reason why in verse 11 is because of the schemes of the devil. They're, they're multitask. They're, they're, multi, you know, they're, they're, they're intense. They go from all sides, and they're very, he's very sly. And we looked at the last couple of weeks, right? How he approaches us, how he appeals to us, right? So you put on the full armor of God because you're going to need that against the scenes. But then he says another reason, verse 12, not just because of how sly he is in verse 11, but because of how powerful he is in verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. This is where we're going to dig into this, right? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against all these, and we'll talk about all these rulers and authorities and powers and, and everything else that's there. Therefore, verse 13, take up the full armor of God. And it's the full armor of God, not the full armor of John. It's the full armor of God, which means that his armor is sufficient, and you're going to need his armor, not just some of it, but all of it. Because only God's armor is, the, uh, is able to withstand his attacks. You know, <clears throat> the Christian life is a struggle, isn't it? You say, no, it's not. Well, then I don't know what planet you're living on. <laughs> I don't know what... 
Now you thought maybe when you became a Christian, then all, all struggles would cease. No, actually, when that's when it really got started. We, we, we struggle, of course, against sin, right? We struggle against the flesh. We struggle against the world. Uh, we struggle against the, the, the desires of the flesh that wage war against the soul, against it, according to 1 Peter. We struggle for our faith, right? There's this constant struggle. But here we struggle against evil forces. And I think Paul here is purposely laying out just how big and bad and evil these opponents are. It's like you're on a little scrawny baseball team or football team, you know, and your opponent are grown men. And you're a little peewee person playing a, playing a sport, and these grown men are coming out, and, and Paul says, okay, see, that's, that's who you're face up against. Let's wake up here. This is the, 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 I sound like Bugs Bunny or Porky Pig. <laughs> everyone who was my age understood that joke. <laughs> and everyone who was younger did not understand it. We struggle against evil forces. Now, these evil forces have been defeated by Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 1.21, Hey, let's look at some scripture. How about we do that? 121, Paul said that he, in verse 20, he raised Christ from the dead. He seated Christ at his right hand in the heavenly places. Verse 21, Ephesians 121, far above all rule, authority, power, dominion, and every name that is named. Not only in this age, but in the age to come. Jesus Christ, of course, is victorious. But this is a struggle. Go back to, um, to, to chapter 6. This is a struggle. Now, the, 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 a couple of things. He says, for our struggle, let's just do that. For our struggle. You see that? It's an intimate struggle, isn't it? Now, in one sense, it's a common struggle because this is our, we're all, you know. But it's a struggle that's intimate. Why? Because the, the word there, it's also translated wrestling. It's a, it's, a, it's a term that describes a one-on-one combat. See, it's one thing to be in the army with the rest of the, with the, with the, rest of the soldiers, and you're shoulder to shoulder, and you're, and you're, and you're, you're shooting your, your whatever armor is, and then you have support. Hey, I need to take a break. I need some. Can you help me out here? It's one thing to be in the army. But then when you turn the corner, and it's you and the enemy by yourself, that's... There's, now there's, some, there's a closeness to it, isn't it? It isn't just out there. We think the battle is just out there. We think it's all somewhere out there. And no, no, no. The battle is up at close and personal. Isn't it not? You guys know that. Now, here's the thing. You can look at your, your neighbor and everything else. You look at the face and say, well, they're not going through a battle. They're not going through a battle. We look at the face, we have no idea what's going on. Right? We have no clue, but God knows. And you know how intimate that struggle isn't, don't you? That, that Greek word refers to hand-to-hand combat, wrestling, and, and the struggle. And, and the idea is the soldier had to be armed, but he also had, was an accomplished wrestler because he knew there were times when the enemy would come to him personally, and it's him and the enemy, and no one else is around to help him out. And he had to know what he was doing. He had to know how to grapple and all that kind of stuff. 
we need to be ready for both kinds of battle, don't we not? It is not only an intimate struggle, it's also an incessant struggle. That means it's an ongoing struggle, a continuous struggle. See, it says, our struggle is, that's present tense. Let's get into English here, right? <laughs> present tense. In the Greek, it's also present. It says, continuing. Our struggle is, not our struggle was, but our struggle right now is ongoing. It's not just a battle when we got saved. It wasn't just a battle to get us saved, right? And it's not just a battle when we heard the gospel. It's not just a battle when we face trials. Now, sometimes when we face trials, we, we feel it more intensely, but it's an ongoing, constant struggle. In the moment you became a Christian, you entered into the battle. You didn't graduate from the battle. You entered into the battle. And as long as you live on planet Earth, you will be in that struggle. John, why don't you tell me some good news? The good news, your time here on Earth is very short compared to your time in eternity. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that struggle will only be a few short years in relative terms. And then in eternity, oh boy, there's rest and peace, right? But if you're not in Jesus Christ... Your time on earth is just the beginning of eternal hell. And if you think things are bad on earth, wait till you face what people face in hell. Well, we don't talk about hell very much, do we? We're Americans. What is that? We're Americans? <laughs> so let me... <laughs> Hell, hap hell happens in other places, not here. Really? Our struggle is an incessant, continuous, constant battle that will grow even as you mature in Christ. Those of us who are older in the faith, you know, it hasn't gotten easier, has it? When does temptation become easier? It doesn't. You know, as we seek, not only as we, as we seek to obey Christ even more in our life, and you know how the Lord is, he, he works with us in our sanctification, and we're, and you know, those areas of our heart, we're still handing over to the Lord and still working that, and, and that becomes more difficult, right? And we battle constantly against sin, indwelling sin, the sin nature, the old self, the flesh, However, Paul describes it in Romans, and it continues. It is also, of course, as I said, an individual struggle. It says all of us, yes, there's a common struggle. We're all in a struggle, but all of us, no matter how old or young, are in an individual struggle. Each of us face a common enemy, but some of us have, we all face the enemy in different ways, don't we? How the enemy attacks one person may be different how he attacks another person, or be a little more nuanced, you know? And he seems to know what buttons to push, doesn't he? It seems to be that it's the same thing over and over again, that he gets you, he trips you up with this. That's like, I... And one temptation to one person is not even a temptation to another. 
he knows the weak spots. To, now, again, we have the grace and help of Jesus Christ. I'm just telling you how the enemy works. We're talking about verse 12 is about the enemy. And if you're going to face your opponent, you better know your opponent. You know, if you're in sports, they watch film for the upcoming team they're going to watch. They're going to watch how they play and how the plays they run and how, what their tendencies are. They're going to look for, you know. Or if you're a baseball player, you're looking at the film of the pitcher of the final. Does he do this every time he throws a fastball? You're looking for that. We better understand our enemy because guess what? He understands us. Oh boy, can he understand us because he seems to know how to trip us up each, each time. And we keep falling into the same trap and over and over again, right? He's just, he's just an old old dog with old tricks, right? But it works, right? <coughs> and by the way, you're not immune to his, to his battle. Even if you go in ministry, that doesn't give you a, a card. He says, oh, I won't touch you because you're a pastor. I want you. No, all the more, he'll throw, he'll throw even heavier things at you, right? He'll say, how could you be a pastor and things that's not? How could you? You're a man of God. You got it, you know. How could you? Who do you think? Oh, oh. You just might as well put yourself on the shelf right now because God's going to bench you. You know, you know, those kind of things. He just, he just, and each one of us is facing some sort of battle. And sometimes you're even, your own spouse doesn't know that. If you have a spouse. He knows which buttons to push. He knows which temptations. He knows what will work. And this struggle, of course, is not only an intimate struggle or an incessant struggle or an individual struggle. It is an intense struggle. And we'll look at this. The forces we face are very powerful and very organized. Now again, thank God for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because we don't battle alone, do we? We have a champion, Jesus Christ, who is defeated. We have the, the armor of God. Bless the Lord. So I'm giving you all what the enemy can do, but don't forget we have armor to protect us, right? So there's hope. Let's not, let's not lose hope that, there, that we're defenseless. If you're a Christian, you have a defense. We still want to understand, though, because he's a mean devil. As much as you know that God loves you, the devil hates you even more. Now, God's, now God's intimate, you know, infinite, he's, he's omni. Potent and, and he's, um, um, he's God, right? So the devil is just a fallen angel. Look at that. But he hates God and God's people and humanity with an intense hatred that will never, ever, ever go away. You think, well, you know, maybe he'll change his mind someday. Nope, 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 nope. Don't even count. Don't even, don't even bank on that. Bank on the infinite love of Jesus Christ for you. Amen. The forces we face are organized and powerful. And sometimes we feel like we face them alone. And finally, the struggle that we face, well, not finally, but it's also an intelligent struggle because he's smart about how he goes about attacking us. There's a strategy. You think about this. He has he is thinking about how can he make Christians fall or not stand or make them ineffective or put them on the sidelines or convince them they're useless. The enemy focuses particularly on weak spots. He may focus on past wounds or areas of vulnerability. He may remind you of things in the past that causes fear, 
anger and doubt. He wants you to so live in the past that you're no good for the present. I don't know about you, but my Bible says, and I have to remind myself, I'm preaching myself, okay? Those who are in Jesus Christ are brand new, aren't they? All right? All things have become new. It's been wiped away. You're so stuck in your past, and the devil has you in that broken record. God's like, I've forgotten about that. Right? That's all he does, though. He does that with me. He brings, he, it's like he constantly reminds me of things I've done like 40 years ago. 50 years ago. Well, okay, I'm 50. Okay. <clears throat> when I was in kindergarten. <laughs> My Bible says there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. But guess what? Guess how he attacks me? Condemnation. Reminder of past. Reminder of past. Look at that. Da, 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 da. Shut up already, you know? Scripture says this. Ah. See, it's, your, it's the truth of God's word. And boy, sometimes it's hard because the truth doesn't always feel how I want to feel. And the devil's really good at dragging you down. This is an immense struggle against a powerful enemy. And that's why it requires the full armor of God. The full armor. Put on the full armor of God. Take up the full armor of God. And finally, this is an invisible struggle. He says, this is a spiritual struggle. Our struggle, verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. You see that? This is not a, a carnal, now this, it's not a carnal struggle like flesh and blood, but flesh and blood refers to people, right? Jesus says to Peter, Peter confesses you know, that Jesus is the Christ, he goes, flesh and blood didn't re- reveal this to you, but my Father revealed this to you. Flesh and blood refers to people. It doesn't mean that we don't have struggle against people, right? Of course we do. Just turn on the news. That's all they talk about is the struggle that people have against people. Right? Families. You know, there's, 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 so there, there, it's, it's not denying that, but Paul is saying the chief struggle is beyond that. Sometimes you think your wife or your husband is your enemy. No, it's the enemy behind her or him. And you know how it is. It's, it's the enemy that you can't see. How do you fight an enemy you can't see? Don't you wish, I mean, I wish my eyes were open and I could see, you know, angels and demons and all. I wish, it's by faith, isn't it, right? It's an invisible spiritual struggle. And here's the problem, though. We forget that the problem ultimately is a spiritual problem. We often come at spiritual problems with fleshly solutions. We think that we can solve spiritual problems by fleshly solutions. Let's pass a law that you're not supposed to argue with your spouse. <laughs> okay? Or not have a disagreement with your neighbor. Let's pass a law. Oh, it's funny, isn't it? 
is ineffective. See, as a church, we ought, to, we ought to be on the forefront of recognizing that the problems we see in the world, the conflicts, yes, they have fleshly, there's issues, you have to talk with people and negotiate, all that. But behind that, there's a spiritual force of wickedness at work. We are, of all people on planet, we are recognized, oh, we see you through this. Let's not get distracted by what we see in the flesh. Let's look past that and see there is, there's something spiritual going on here. And that's attacking spiritually because a spiritual problem needs a spiritual solution. Amen? Because if you understand, if you address the spiritual problem, it flows into the natural, doesn't it? Here's, you know, Israel is battling on the battlefield and Moses is trying to pray for them. And as they're praying, they're winning. And then when he stops praying, they're losing. And of course, Aaron and her have to raise up his arms and keep his arms up so that Israel would still win. There's a picture right there. Because on the battlefield is what you see in the flesh, but behind that are spiritual entities fighting. How do you fight against the enemy you can't see? Well, of course, first of all, we need to understand who our enemy is. He says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And then he says, but against, and he lists a bunch of things, rulers, authorities, world forces of darkness and spiritual forces of wickedness and heavenly places. I have to stop right here, though. I have to pause. Can I pause real fast? Okay. Because on the one hand, we are facing an enemy we can't see, and we're going to get into this. But on the other hand, there are people who are fighting against God himself. See, that's just, so the one struggle, of course, we're going to look at into the text here. I just have to pause right here. Is there are those, maybe in here, or maybe watching online, who are wrestling against God. And they are resisting God. And they're resisting the Holy Spirit. Right? Okay. Those are two different struggles, right? One is the Christian against the enemy, and one is the unbeliever or the person who is somehow doesn't want to let's follow God. And so he or she is wrestling against a God who loves them. The Spirit of God is pursuing some people and trying to get them to follow Christ. And that person, those people, are hardening their hearts against the promptings of the Holy Spirit. They, they know that what they're about to get into or what they are interested in is not of God and the Holy Spirit brings up promptings and they keep pressing it down and saying no. And the Holy Spirit gives you gentle nudges and trying to woo you back to God. That's the kind of wrestling that you don't want to be on this wrong side of because eventually God will say, I won't always contend with man. That's a different kind of wrestling. Okay, I'm just taking, this is a pause, but I think it's an important pause. Don't resist the Holy Spirit. Don't ignore his promptings. The, the, the Lord, uh, he, 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 he disciplines those he loves, doesn't he? Amen? Uh, and if you're his child, he'll pursue you. And leave the nine-nine to go after the one. Praise God. But you don't know if you're resisting of him, if he'll just say, okay, I'll let you go, like the way I let Pharaoh go. You don't want to be in that place. Now, praise God for his mercy. Guess what? I was that man. 
I was that man. I'm, this is not in my, this is not, guess what? It's okay. Time, I can't see the clock, so time, time doesn't matter to me. I was that man. Why? Because I was the one who was getting to things, this is years ago, and the Holy Spirit kept on telling me and checking my spirit. And I kept pushing it down and ignoring it, ignoring it, ignoring it. And then I went and just did my own thing. And God allowed me, foolishly that I was, to resist the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit doesn't get you in the headlock and go like this, come on. He's gentle. And God respects your choice. He respects your choice. You say, God sends people to hell. No, no, you send yourself to hell if you reject the gospel. Jesus comes on the scene and says, follow me. You know what Christianity is about? It's about following Jesus. It's about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and following him. Not following some rules or things like that. It is communion with a person. Jesus Christ, he's fully God and fully man. He's a person. A relationship with the person. So simple. We make it so complicated. In the garden, Adam and Eve met with God, fellowship with God. And Jesus Christ allows us to have that fellowship again, right? I was that person who resisted God, who I wrestled not against flesh and blood, I was wrestling against God. And praise the Lord that when He allowed me to go through things and get to a place where I called on Him, that He heard my cry. They answer my prayer and he snatched me out of the pit. Right? I would not be here if, except for that, if, except for him allowing me. But I can't promise that everyone who does that will even have a chance. So I'm saying here, I'm talking to souls here. I don't know. Maybe I'm talking, everyone's saved in this room. I don't know. But maybe not. Or maybe there's somebody, there's people watching online. So hello, you know. Well, let's go back here. By the way, if you are wrestling against God, and what I'm telling you is, is true and it's resonating, even if you're embarrassed. You can see me afterwards. We'll talk. We'll pray. If you want to text me, if, you're, if you want to be private, that's fine. I understand because I've been there. We're not playing church, right? This is eternal souls at stake. And you guys, okay, if I'm, if I'm preaching to the choir, then okay, so what? Work on your clap. <laughs> But if I'm preaching to somebody who needs to hear this and God is going to rescue your soul from eternal hell, you're going to be like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Because there are people in hell who are pleading to God to let them out and say, give me another chance. And it's too late. It's too late. I just What we do here, I don't take this for granted. You don't understand. I don't, this, is, this isn't just, this is, these are words of life. Okay, so now let's go, let's go back to the, unpause, get back to that. Who is the person that we are now as Christians who are wrestling against? Well, of course, he's the devil, isn't he, right? Look at verse 11. The schemes of the devil, the devil, he's the one in charge of all this. He's, uh, he's the ruler of the dark side, the, the demonic evil side. He's the slander, the diabolos, the uh, the, the, the adversary, his name is Shatan, means the one who opposes. By the way, you know you're in spiritual warfare when you face opposition. You know you're in spiritual warfare when for some reason 
you are being opposed spiritually or, or there's something that you can't... It's like, what is going on here? Why is this, you know... It's like you light a match and the gasoline is, comes out of nowhere. And it's like, that's what happens. There's this opposition. And the devil is the one who first appears as a serpent, tempting man in Genesis 3. He's the dragon of old, according to verse uh, chapter 20 of Revelation. He is the one who led a rebellion against God and he's called, according to Ephesians 2, the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of the power of the air, the prince, the leader of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Jesus calls him, the, or, or the disciple, not disciples, Jesus' enemies accuse Jesus of being, uh, that, oh, hold on, I'm Matthew, Matthew 9. Let me just look it up real fast. I don't want to misquote here. Um, you got to stay where you're at. 9. He is, uh, they accused him to be the, the ruler of the demons. Well, Jesus is not, the devil is, and there you go. He is called the ruler of this world. Jesus called the devil the ruler of this world. He is immense power. He's called the God of this world, who <laughs> blinds the minds of the unbelievers. 2 Corinthians 4.3 says, If our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. You wonder why. Listen up. Now, this, let me talk to Christians here. You turn on your news, and you look around what's going on in the world, and you're like, why aren't they behaving like Christians? Why? Because they're blinded and lost. They need to hear the gospel, and it has to be the grace of God that unblinds them. And Satan will do everything he can to prevent a person from hearing the gospel. Jesus says, hey, a sower went and sowed a seed, right? And some fell on certain kind of soil, and that kind of, the seed went there, the, the enemy snatches before they can understand it. So what you're seeing in the world is a result of following Satan. You say the world's broken. Yeah, that's what happens when you follow Satan. Well, God, isn't God powerful? Can he stop that? Well, he's, again, he's giving us choice, right? And he's letting sin play out. And by the way, Satan knows his time is short and his reign on this earth is short-lived because eventually when Jesus Christ comes back in the flesh, physically on this earth, and he will rule, uh, and there will be peace, right? And eventually sin, hell, and grave, and all that was thrown into the lake of fire, and that's it. No more sorrow, tears, disease, conflict. So we have, we have eternity to look forward to all that, right? But it's going to take some time. And God in his wisdom is allowing that to happen. The devil was once an angel. Look at, is, I'm going to look at two, chapter, uh, two sections here, and let's hope I can get through this verse. Ezekiel 28. Look at Ezekiel 28. <clears throat> And uh, I'm going to look at Ezekiel 28 and then Isaiah 14. I'm going to use this also in another point. So I just want to get familiar with it. And uh, Ezekiel 28, we're going to start in verse, um, well, um, in verse, um, verse 1. Hold on here. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, Say to the ruler of Tyre. Now he's going to be speaking to a specific king. But then there's going to be a shift where he's going to be speaking beyond that king. Okay? 
Remember, we're talking about flesh and blood is not our enemy, but the one behind the flesh and blood, we're going to see that. Son of man, see it to the ruler of Tyrus, thus says the Lord, the Lord, uh, the Lord Yahweh, because your heart is lofty and, and you said, I am a God. Now, I can't go into all the, the pantheon of, of what the, uh, the, the people of Phoenicia and their gods, well, they, I'm not going to explain all that, but I'm just going to read it to you. You have said, I, I sit enthroned in the seat of gods in the, in, the, in the heart of the seas, yet you are a man and not God. It's like, you think you're God, but you're not. You're just a man. And he's talking still to a man. Although we make your heart like the heart of God. Behold, you are wiser than Daniel. There's no secret that is, no, that is a match for you. By your wisdom and understanding, you have acquired wealth for yourself, and you, you have acquired gold and silver for your treasuries. By your great wisdom, by your trade, you have increased your wealth, by, and your heart is lofty because of your wealth. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the Lord Yahweh, because you have made your heart like the heart of God, therefore, behold, I will be, bring strangers upon you. He's still talking to the natural king. The most ruthless of the nations, they will draw their sword against the beauty of your wisdom and defile your splendor. They will bring you down to the pit and you will die the death of those who are slain in the heart of the seas. Will you still say, I am God, in the presence of the one who kills you, though you are a man and not God, in the hands of those who slay you? You will die the death of the uncircumcised by the, stranger, the hand of strangers, for I have spoken, declares the Lord. Then he's going to switch gears and speak to the one behind this king. Look at me in verse 11. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Yahweh. Now this is where he's speaking to Satan, to Lucifer. You had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Okay, That tells me the man in Tyre had never been to Eden before. <laughs> Every precious stone was your covering. The ruby, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the lapis lazuli, the turquoise, the emerald, and the gold, and the workmanship of your settings and the sockets was in you on the day that you were created. Before he fell, he was beautiful. By the way, a lot of these stones are also mentioned on the ephod of the high priest, and they're also shown in heaven as well. And then he says, you were the anointed cherub who covers. Now, what's the cherub? It's not the little baby with the bow and arrow, okay? The cherub was, well, one was in Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve are kicked out, out of the, our God appointed a cherub with the flaming sword, the mighty angel. But the cherub were also, if you look at the, the Ark of the Covenant, okay, Raiders of the Lost Ark, <laughs> the angels on the either side, of the, the presence of God right here and the angels, those were cherub. Okay, that's how close Satan was when he was Lucifer. And he was beautiful. But look, let's continue. You were the anointed cherub who covers, verse 14, and I placed you there... You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. 
By the abundance of your trade you were internally filled with violence and you sinned. Therefore I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God and I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was lofty. By the way, when people are arrogant and prideful and lofty, they're acting just like Satan. That's satanic. See these leaders, these famous people, they're so full of themselves. That's satanic. Now, yeah. I, I, and, and God help us all, right? This is be that was God help us all because all of us have the potential of becoming that. Your heart was lofty because of your beauty. Okay, what do we like to do? I'm, just, I'm not, okay. What do we like to do? <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay, I understand. We're taking a selfie, we're taking a group shot. But how many people have you seen on social media, a person is looking at themselves all day long? Yeah. This is how pretty I am. <laughs> Fairy tales, right? Who's the, who's the, the, you know, mirror, mirror on the wall? Who's the most fairest of all? Right? We laugh because it's true, right? It's not to say we can't look at ourselves and clone our hair and do our thing, but there's a point where it's like we've become in love with ourselves. Your heart was lofty because of your beauty. You, you corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. And I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you by the abundance of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your trade. You profane your sanctuaries. Therefore I brought out fire from the midst of you. It has consumed you. And I have turned you to, to, the ash, to ashes on the earth. In the eyes of all who see you. Check out the scene. Once the anointed cherub close to God, full of beauty, is cast down. And look what it says. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. I know there's a different translation. The idea of they're going to look and say, wow. You will become terrified. You will cease to be forever. Yeah. Look at Isaiah uh, to your left. Isaiah 14. Now he's speaking to the king of Babylon. Same thing. Let me just jump into uh, verse... Three And it will be in the day when Yahweh gives you rest from your pain and your turmoil and harsh slavery in which you, were, you have been enslaved, that you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon and say, how the taskmaster has ceased and how fury has ceased. The Lord has broken the staff of the wicked, the scepter of rulers, which used to strike the peoples in fury with unceasing strokes. 
which had dominion over the nations in anger with unrestrained persecution. The whole earth is at rest and is quiet, and they break forth in shouts into shouts of joy. Even the cypress trees are glad over you, and the cedars of Lebanon, saying, Since you were laid low, no tree cutter comes against us. And this is speaking, obviously, of a future time. Sheol, verse 9, from beneath, Sheol is the place of the dead. So when you died in the Old Testament, you went to Sheol, the place of the dead is what they called it. Sheol from beneath trembles excitedly over you to meet you when you come. So he's, he's speaking to when the king of, of, of Babylon uh, dies. Now, of course, it's going to go into the one behind Babylon eventually. Sheol from beneath trembles excitedly over you to meet you when you come. It awakens for you the spirits of the dead and all the leaders of the earth. It raises all the kings of the nations from their thrones. They will all answer and say to you, even you have been made weak as we are. You have become like us. See, there's a scene, they're dead, and these former leaders are looking at this king of Babylon who's now fallen and is now being sent to, to the pit. And they're like, you've become just like us. Watch. Your pride and the music of your harps have been brought down to Sheol. Maggots are spread out as your bed underneath you, and worms are your covering. Okay. Satan is allowed to do what he does, but eventually, <coughs> I just love in Revelation says that God says some angel to take that serpent, that dragon, and cast him into the pit, right? And eventually, they're all thrown into the lake of fire. Now, look at, verse four, look at verse 12. How you have fallen. Now, if you have an authorized version of King James, it says, oh, it says, O Lucifer. Uh, the word lose in Hebrew means light. O star of the morning, son of the dawn, you have been cut down to the earth. You who have weakened the nations... Now here's the sin of Lucifer. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to God. I will rise, raise my throne above the stars of God. And I will sit on the mount of assembly in the resource, recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud, clouds and I will make myself like the most high. That was the sin of Satan, of Lucifer. I'm kicking God out of his job. I can do a better job. Here's my campaign. I can do better than God. Right? Pride. Every time we're prideful, guess what? It's satanic. Oh, man. No wonder. Here's the thing. Let me just, let me just say this. To people naturally, people aren't naturally attracted to humility. They're attracted to prideful people. Think about it. They're attracted to people who are full of themselves. Who says, I can do this. See, there's a reason why Jesus, when they wanted to make Jesus king... And force him to be king. That wasn't the way. The way to the kingship was through humility. Because he humbles himself. The Son of God comes, becomes a man and takes on the role of a servant. 
and humbly submits himself to the will of God to go to the cross. The natural man says, oh, that's weakness. I don't want to follow a weak man. A weak, that's, that's just weak. I want somebody who's strong. That's why every single superhero you have has might and strength, right? What kind of power does he have? Well, he has the power of humility. What is that? There's no power in that. He's a loser. You see that? We're so attracted to prideful people, aren't we? That man knows what he's doing. He knows where he's going. And he's... Who did God choose to lead his people out of Israel? A man full of pride and arrogance? No, he chose Moses. He stuttered. He lacked confidence. And the, and the scripture says he was the most humble man on earth. Because pride so focuses on me and I, and humility allows God in one sense. Obviously, God doesn't need allowance, but it leaves room for God to be glorified. See that? Pride, oh boy, pride is that. And so, it was his pride And look what he says, verse 15. Nevertheless, you who say you're going to raise your your throne above the stars of God, you're going to ascend to heaven, you're going to make yourself like the Most High, that is impossible. Even if you thought you had the power, there's no one who compares to God. Amen? There is no one who compares. You cannot make yourself like God. But interesting, that's what the serpent said to Eve. The day you eat of it, God knows that you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. Yes and no. Yes, you'll know good and evil by experience. God doesn't know evil by experience because he's good. There's no evil in him. There's no darkness in him. So in one sense, he's very subtle and say, hey, you'll know good and evil, but not the way that you thought it was. There's the promise. You'll be just like God's. And we have people everywhere who want to become God. All the false religions, they want to become God. They're so full of themselves, they say, I want to become God. I'm the next God. I'm the Messiah. Or, or you can have your own, your own planet and populate it. Yeah. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and make myself like the Most High. Nevertheless, you'll be brought down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. And those, you're going to go from here to down to the pit... And those who, will, who, you, who, who see you will gaze at you and they will carefully consider you saying, now they're going to gawk at you. They're going to say, is this the man who made the earth tremble? Who caused the kingdoms to quake? Who made the world like a wilderness and pulled down its cities? Who did not allow his prisoners to go home? You see, the idea is like, they're going to look at, at Satan and, and realize is this the one who caused all this trouble? Look at it. He's, look how high and mighty he is now. now. Where does this, where, this have to do with our, with our message? <laughs> We're understanding who our enemy is, and he was once so close to God that his pride got in the way and cast him down. And Satan will attack you by appealing to your pride. He'll attack you by thinking, having you think more of yourself. He's very powerful. The scripture says that 
The whole world lays in his power. First John 5, 19. We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The whole world lies in his power. But it's short term, amen? amen? Because here's the good news. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been transferred from his kingdom to God's kingdom. So that you're no longer... See, if you're a child of the darkness, you have... You are in bondage. And you couldn't rescue yourself. You needed a savior to come and rescue. But now you've been transferred to the kingdom of his son and love, right? The kingdom of light, the kingdom of, 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 of Jesus Christ. He's no longer master over you. Now you're his enemy. And now you have to understand, okay, I know what that I know what that felt like to be in bondage. Some people have been in addiction and God set them free, and they know what that felt like to have that hook in them. That oppression they used to live under. They know what that felt like, and then they know what it feels like to have the freedom of Jesus Christ. And like, I don't want to live, I don't want that testimony anymore. And Jesus Christ has said, those who are who place their faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ takes takes and says, they're mine, and you can't get them back. And you're going to try to get them back, but I'm going to protect them because they're mine. I'm the shepherd. I'm the good shepherd, and I keep my sheep, and I hold them. My Father holds them in, in our hands, and I will never let them go. And there may be times you, you have situations that remind you of your past, but guess what, child? You, God, you are safe with the Lord. So you continue to be close to the shepherd because you understand what the wolf sounds Sounds like, don't you? You understand what the terror that goes through your, your veins and your, and, your, and, your, and your spine as you hear the wolf coming closer. But now you hear the heartbeat of God, of Jesus Christ, who's keeping you safe. Follow closely after him. Amen? Yes. I'm going to have to stop right here. I didn't get through. a. I got through one word in verse 11 and one, two, three, four, like the first section of verse 12. Oh, my goodness. but i love going deep amen my goal here is listen there are souls at stake and all of us are in the battle so we have to recognize this there are times when when we need prayer god brings somebody to your mind you pray for them even me all of us and satan wants to bring division and god says no i want to bring unity Thank you, Jesus. Let it not be that anyone feels neglected in prayer or need. Say, hey, if you need prayer, if you need encouragement, let us be a church that is sensitive to that, loves one another, is kind to one another, prays for one another, encourages one another, because we're all in the same battle. And no matter what you've been through in your past, that doesn't matter. It's like, well, I used to be a da-da-da. Well, yeah, so, so was I, da-da-da. Well, I still struggle with such and such. Well, so do I. Guess what? We're all in the same battle together, but we have Jesus Christ on our side, don't we? And we have the Spirit of God who dwells, our, 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 and dwells us. Oh, this is good. I just want to celebrate. I don't know. Praise the Lord. And, and thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Because here's the thing, and I'll get this next week. The devil has one, the enemy has one goal in mind. Your damnation. You want to know why salvation is so wonderful? Because hell is so bad. That salvation is so wonderful. You know something in heaven? They are dancing in heaven. They are celebrating in heaven. 
they are cheering in heaven because God has rescued. And, and guess what? Our battle's not done yet. But we let us, in one sense, join in the battle, but also join in the celebration. And let's say, God, pray, I pray for my neighbors. I drove to church this morning, and my neighbors walking out. I saw our, our neighbor next door, and I'm like, Lord, help me not just to pray for them, but to share Christ with them. Yes. Let it be that they don't go to hell and say, no one ever told me. And God says, I placed my people next door to you. My Mormon neighbors on this side. My Hindu and my other Hindu ones around me is like, Lord, help me at least to pray for them and at least to Lord, lead the conversation or, or open the door. Show me, because I'm not a great evangelist, but God, let it be that they can't say they never heard about you from the Christian that you placed right next door. Salvation is free and it's costly. It's free and it's also costly. It costs Jesus Christ his life. But it's free for the anyone he just come he says, Come. I will know we cast you out. Come. He said, Well, I'm gonna wait till after I die to figure out if that's the case. Too late. Well you're playing with you're playing with your eternal life. I'm telling you right now that Jesus Christ is the only way. You're here, and the Holy Spirit has been telling you. For some reason, you have other... Come to Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I do pray for... If there's somebody in here in this room, if there's people watching online, maybe right now or maybe in the future who will watch this, that you would call them to know your Son, that you would call them to salvation, to surrender, to say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. I want to receive you, and I want to confess you, Lord, and to, to believe in you, not just that you existed, but that what you did on the cross, the blood you shed was for my sin. You took my place on the cross. You paid for my debt that I could never pay for in a gazillion, gazillion, trillions and trillions of years. That you offer salvation freely. That you call the, the, the deepest and darkest of sinners to repentance. And so, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would draw people to know you and that you would bring people into your kingdom and grant faith and bring souls, Lord. I pray for everyone here, Lord. We are, most of us here are believers, Lord, and we, we face a battle that we can't see with an enemy that's super powerful, but we trust, Lord, that you are more powerful and that you have supplied us with the armor of God. I pray for encouragement for those people who may be discouraged. Maybe people are living with with regret. Lord, let it be that you wipe. Just take that memory out and bring healing to those areas, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. Lead us by your Holy Spirit to share Christ with others to follow you more closely, to love you, Lord, and to learn of you, and to encourage one another, Lord. Please protect this house, Lord, these sheep, Lord, these people, Lord, that you love so much that you gave your life for them. Please protect us and grow us in the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ. And to your name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. Bless the Lord. When we stand up, when we stand up,
It's a little warm in here, isn't it? Or is it just me? <laughs> got a little workout here. Got to get a little towel thing, you know. Praise God. Praise God. Bless the Lord. Um, yeah. Praise the Lord. God is good. I'm going to read to you the, uh, I think I did this last week, but I'm going to do it again. I kind of liked it. The one in the benediction at the end of, of the book of Hebrews. The writer says, Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, our Lord Jesus, equip you in every good thing to do His will by doing in us what is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord, may you bless our friends here. May you go with them. Lead them by your Holy Spirit. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. And help us, Lord, to recognize the attacks of the enemy and to turn to you and trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, have a wonderful week. We will see you guys, Lord willing, on Saturday at our men's and ladies' breakfast. Praise the Lord.